You're listening to the Godfather and Gorney podcast on Rivals.com with your host, the Godfather of recruiting, Mike Farrell. The magic underwear is not working, and that's not our fault. And national recruiting analyst, Adam Gorney. We're like a 1-800 number almost. That's right. Welcome back to another edition of the Godfather and Gorney podcast. My name is Dave Barry, producer of the show, and I am joined by Mike Farrell out on the East Coast and Adam Gorney here on the best coast, the West Coast. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) We don't have a lot to talk about, guys. It's a a little bit of a slower time with um, not many games going on until the bowl games start, but we'll jump right into it. The Heisman Trophy winner was announced. Not a big surprise with Baker Mayfield. I'll get your guys' thoughts. Did they get it right, first of all, Mike Farrell? Yeah, they got it right. Um, you know, I, mean, I don't see how you could pick anybody else. Bryce Love is a great kid and, you know, represents everything you want in college football as far as class, character, and had a tremendous season, played through that high ankle sprain, put up great numbers. But if Christian McCaffrey didn't win it, then Bryce Love was not going to win it. And Lamar Jackson won it last year, uh, put up, you know, similar stats this season, but they just didn't have the wins. So it was pretty clear. I think they should have invited more than three people to New York. I think it should be a minimum of five. You know, give Saquon Barkley or, or somebody else a chance to carry on Johnson, a chance to get out there. Rashad Penny. Rashad Penny, San Diego State guy, uh, Mr. San Diego, Dave Barry. Um, you know, but, uh, you know, how could you not pick him? I, a lot of people wanted to vote against him because of his off-field stuff and, you know, the off-season arrest with the flag planting and, and the crotch grabbing and all that other stuff. But, you know, by far and away, he was the best football player in college football, and that's what it's about. It's about the best player on the best team. Uh, but, I mean, even if they had lost two or three games, I think Baker Mayfield made a case and, and should have been the guy. Yeah, I don't have a problem with him winning it. Like Mike said, he was the best player the most dynamic player. Everybody was excited to see what he was going to do on Saturdays. I, I just don't think Lamar Jackson got the respect he deserved. His numbers were, again, out of this world. He didn't have hardly as many talented players around him as he did last year. You know, it seemed like in the weeks leading up to the Heisman Trophy, you always get kind of a feel on where it's headed. And Lamar Jackson just didn't get, uh, I don't think, the respect he deserved. Bryce Love, again, I mean, Saquon Barkley is the best running back in the country. For him not to be invited even to New York is an abomination, I think. It's sad that he wasn't even there. State. Um, uh, I mean, come on. Anybody that watches Saquon Barkley knows he's maybe the best player in college football, if not number he's two. He's not even the best running back um, in the Big Ten. Okay. I mean, stat-wise. And, stat-wise. It's about statistics. Well, stat-wise, of course, because everybody loads the box and makes McSorley run the ball. If they're, they're running zone read option, they're going to not let Barkley beat them, and they're going to let McSorley beat them. Uh, so. They didn't do that with uh, Derrick Henry? If we're talking about, uh, if we're talking about stats, um, if being... we're only relying on, if we're only relying on stats, you can't look at Big Twelve players because they they play against no defenses. Oh. Baker Mayfield deserved the Heisman because of what he did at Ohio State. Uh, I just don't think Lamar Jackson got the respect he deserves, and Saquon Barkley should have been there, and so should have Roquan Smith because he had such a phenomenal season that putting a defender in New York should have he should have gotten some respect. You too. know how many tackles he missed all season long? How many, Mike? Two. Two? Mitchells, Mitchells missed this team. I know. He had huge numbers. Crazy. I mean, that's just crazy. Now, again, that comes from the coaching staff. So, you know, we've, we've seen 
you know, some fabricated numbers over the years, but let's say it's five tackles he missed all season long. I mean, it's still amazing, but a defender is never going to get there. He's never going to win it. It's ridiculous. And, you know, I just played a ringtone for, I guess, our competition. ESPN's not our competition, though. I mean, they're the worldwide leader in sports, and we're rivals.com. But anyways, I just, uh, who's ESPN? Yeah, I just shut, I just shut off my phone. Uh, so that that was smart. And Gordy's going to get all the venom today from the first snowstorm here in Connecticut. We got a snowstorm on Saturday. Uh, annoyed me greatly. So uh, I'm attacking Gorney because of it. But there's a guy at Wisconsin who is a pretty good running back who probably should have been there as well. And uh, listen, I agree. At versatility wise, Saquon Barkley is is. Wait, are you saying Jonathan Taylor's the best running back in the Big Ten? I'm saying statistically he's the best running back in the Big Ten. Oh, my God. Because they give him the ball every single play. They could do that with Saquon Barkley. You don't think they They scheme against him? You don't think they put nine guys in the box against Wisconsin? If you think that only stats make the man, then... Stats make the Heisman, though, bro. Yeah, that's true. It is. No, that's true. Derrick Henry put up... 2,200 yards or whatever his year, um, and and everybody knew he was getting the ball. They had no real threat passing at quarterback, and you know he just continued to plow through. So I'm not I'm saying Barkley should have been there. I think he deserved it. Dalvin Cook got got screwed for two years. Should have been in New York for as a finalist for two years, and and never got invited. Never set foot in New York. The last time Derrick Henry set foot in New York prior to the Heisman too was hilarious because I was with him on the player of the year tour for the U S army all-American bowl. And you couldn't imagine more things going wrong. I I was sort of shadowing the three guys and Derek was one of them and he had never been to the big city and he saw, he saw live beheadings of chickens in (laughs) he was doing community service for hurricane Katrina uh, and saw you know homeless people and flashers, um, and then how special New York City and is. And then on the subway, the, we had to we had to stop a, a stop early because there was a murder at the stop, a shooting like literally 15 minutes before they shut down that subway <laughs> stop. And he looked at me with the widest eyes ever. It's a 17 year old kid who's four 240 pounds. He looked at me at the widest with the widest eyes ever, and he said, "I, I think I want to go home." It was an amazing <laughs> experience for Derrick Henry. But I think his second trip to New York when he actually won the Heisman was better because the Heisman winner that year was also Johnny Manziel, who wasn't the most friendly person in the world. And I will no. tell you, some of these Heisman guys, when you go to this ceremony, some of the old Heisman winners, they're jerks. Just absolute jerks. I'm like, why are you here? You're not required to be here as a former Heisman winner. Can't you just be nice? I was taking these kids around to try to get autographs on a football. And again, these are 17-year-old kids and they're high school folks. And they're, and they're, they're, they're full of themselves, of course, you know. Um, and some of these guys that they asked for autographs, I mean, just said, no, I'm not signing anything. Get away from me. Like, it was just, it was very, very funny. Um, so anyways, that's my great Heisman story. But I think they got it right. Um I don't think Baker Mayfield is misunderstood, as Kirk Herbstreet said. You know, again, he spent some time with him uh, in New York, probably uh, for the Heisman. He's he's gotten to know him a little bit over the years. But when Herbstreet said Baker Mayfield is misunderstood, I, I don't know where that comes from. Uh, how do you misunderstand what he's put out there as Baker Mayfield's personality? Oh, yeah. Well, and this is the typical 
media member saying that this kid is a good kid and he knows absolutely nothing about him. So I don't know if he's misunderstood or not. I don't know if he's understood. I don't know anything about him really. I wouldn't be surprised if he does something tomorrow. I don't, I wouldn't be surprised if he's the best kid in the whole world. We don't know these kids. Uh, They live their own lives. They have public personas, but the things he's done running away from the cops in Fayetteville and getting tackled, grabbing his crotch and telling the Kansas players F you and talking trash to the fans and then saying sorry over and over again. Uh, You know, leaving Texas tech under no one knows what circumstances, even though he was the starting quarterback, Uh, you know, not having any offers out of high school really, except three, Uh, you know, we don't really know what, what this kid is about. I, I thought Joe Mixon was a nice kid. Then he punched a girl in a, in a restaurant. You know who I thought was a nice Uh, kid? Who's that? Hernandez. Yeah, and I said, when I met Aaron Hernandez, when he was in high school, very pleasant person. When I met him in Florida, decent guy, you know, I, I don't know any, no one knows these kids. So for Herb Street to say he's misunderstood, that means he knows something about Baker Mayfield that no one else knows. And that just isn't reality. And, you know, Rashawn Galden from Tennessee called out Herb Street. And to Herb Street's credit, he did apologize to the kid. But when, when Galden flipped off the fans at Alabama... Uh, after Tennessee was getting destroyed but scored a touchdown and he gave the double bird. Uh, Herb Street said, I believe, either on game day or something, that he should have just been sent upstairs, had his uniform taken off, and been kicked off the football team for what he did. And then he goes and says that Baker Mayfield's misunderstood. And Galden rightfully so called him out on Twitter. And to Herb Street's credit, he apologized. And he said you know, he was using Galden as an example of the overall lack of discipline at Tennessee. And he shouldn't have called him out. But I think they both should be called out. Uh, And I think this is going to be a topic of discussion that continues as Mayfield goes on to the pros, because I think he could be a very good pro. He just needs to stay out of his own way, because the one thing they won't put up with in the NFL is a problem unless you're a great, great player. Um, You know, uh, Jeff George sort of proved that He, he was a very, very talented guy and a great player. Uh, Marcus Russell, very talented guy, uh, great player. These were great players out of uh, college. Uh, you're not going to get that opportunity if you if you do some stuff off the field or if you're just not a good teammate. And I think a good team teammate. That's the thing. I think everybody around the Oklahoma program likes him. I think he's a leader. He's definitely got that moxie about him. But misunderstood. He's going to have to prove to us that he's been misunderstood because he's done not, you know too much. Yeah, I think the best thing that could happen to him is the what will be the best thing that could happen to Grayson Allen at Duke for the college basketball fans out there is the kid's a jerk. He's tripping people. Uh, you know, if he could be a late first round draft pick and go to a good quality team with a good head coach and a good position coach and good general manager and there's stability there. Um, and, and it looks like Baker Mayfield will be a, you know, mid to late first round, maybe second round guy. If he can go somewhere where there's you know some professionalism and not the Cleveland Browns or some joke team like the New York Giants, uh, you know I think that would benefit him in the long run where he can sit and learn and shut up if he can do that. I don't know if he even has that within him to do it. So uh, you know he's going to have to grow up a lot. Uh, maybe he's misunderstood. Maybe I'm misunderstanding him, uh, but he's going to have to grow up a lot when he gets to the NFL because if he pulls any of this stuff and he starts talking trash. He's going to get fined. He's going to get, you know, sent to, to, to the waivers. They're not going to put up with it because um, hopefully he goes to a team that has a stability at quarterback and he can kind of calm down a little bit because uh, 
there's there's a big world outside of Norman, Oklahoma, when where basically you could do whatever you want. Did you see your guy Deshaun Kaiser throw that interception in overtime? Oh my God, that was so fun! I love that he pointed down the field to the receiver too, and then he chucks in Clay Matthews smashes him. He's <laughs> just so bad. I mean, we shouldn't, so we shouldn't laugh, but we knew he wasn't going to be good. Remember when he was the consensus like number one pick and all that stuff? <laughs> not only that, Mike, but like it's third down, it's overtime. You can punt. Mm-hmm. Green Bay is not going to have good field position, and they got Brent Hundley. Who, who people and are they saying got is going to get a big free agent contract, or not free agent oh, yeah. contract, we get traded for, but he's not good. Sorry. No. So so Kaiser tosses it up there, and there's like 15 players around the jump ball, and Green Bay gets the ball. That's awesome. Well, it was, that was pitiful. Tremendous decision making. Hey, someone found some Very good. Very. <laughs> I like watching Hugh Jackson on the sideline. He's one in twenty-eight now as a head coach, which is one in twenty-eight. He's coming back next the year. The worst in the history of the NFL, and he's just sitting there. He's got his little hood, hoodie cap on, and he's got his headphones on, and he's just looking there, like so hopeful with his little play sheet, like, "Oh man, we're gonna win a game." I mean, they're up fourteen. They blow that, and then he throws up an arm punt in overtime. <laughs> we shouldn't be talking about the NFL, but I was watching yesterday, and uh, I like the NFL. A lot of people don't, but um. That was that struck me as funny, and and it's all the abuse I've taken from Notre Dame fans by saying that uh, I think Kaiser was way overrated and not a very good quarterback. But uh, but I also said that about Carson Wentz, and uh, I know he got injured, but um, he is really really good. Now, I thought one of the two would be a bust. I thought Goff would be the good one, and Wentz would be the bust. And then the first year, it looked like Wentz was going to be the good one, and Goff was going to be the bust, and I was way off. They're both very good. They played each other. Obviously, injury injury is very hard to to deal with if you're a Philadelphia Eagle fan. But Carson Wentz is a future Hall of Famer. The way he looks, I mean, he's so good, ridiculous. Mike with the platitudes. Uh, also, like on the call yesterday, that they said Wentz and Goff. That's gonna that's the future of the league. Just like Elway and Marino, and you're like, settle down here a little bit, calm, calm yourselves. I mean, they're pretty good quarterbacks. Well, but let's I, not get I agree. crazy. I, I'm not trying to get crazy, and, and I think Troy Aikman said Aaron Donald is uh, rushes the passer from the interior as well as anyone in the history of football. <laughs> I'm like, wow, okay. Now he's a good player, no, no doubt about it. He's a, he's a Pro Bowler, and he just got paid, but. Yeah, some of this stuff. Um, but th- I think they were talking about them being linked together, like Elway and Marino. Right. But, but when Marino came out, I mean, I'm old. I can remember this stuff. He slid. You know, he slid to the end of the first round. Nobody wanted him because yeah. he was a he was a bit of a partier. He was a bit of a drinker, a lot of people said. He underachieved and turned out to be a great player. So you just can't tell. You don't know. But I think Mayfield will be a good pro. Um, I just don't think, you know, it's, it's just tiring to hear – that he's misunderstood. And this comes from the guy who wrote a, a tearful goodbye to Aaron Hernandez after he passed away. So what do I know? I'm just a complete tool. So I don't even know why anybody's listening to me. Do you? I, I, I'm not. Well, I know you. You're not. I, I, I stopped yeah, a while let's ago. Let's go on to like a real, like the real, like uh, topic, you know, Oregon hiring Mario Cristobal, Cristobal in the hashtag. <laughs> You're works. still on that. The huh? hashtag works. <laughs> when hashtags work, the world can be moved, and the world was moved to hire Mario Cristobal. I think it's a pretty good hire. Uh, I'd be interested to see how he does compared to Willie Taggart at Florida State because after Gorney just crop-dusted Willie Taggart on our last podcast, I started thinking, 
He might be right. Willie Taggart might be in over his head at Florida State, but I don't think Cristobal's in over his head at Oregon. He's been a head coach before. I don't think Willie Taggart's over his head at Florida State. I'm just saying I don't understand the, the hype around Willie Taggart. He has a losing record, and he has never won a conference. So, you know, I, you know to think that uh, everybody's so thrilled about this hire, I just don't get it right off the bat. Mario Cristobal is a different story, and here's – it's interesting. He turned an FIU program that was literally hanging on by a thread. I mean, they were so bad when he took over. Um, and he made them respectable. Also a guy who's never really outright won a conference, but was seven and six and eight and five for two years. That 2012 season is interesting because they went three and nine. Hasn't been a head coach since then. And everybody who said Herm Edwards was such a horrible hire, I believe they have the same record, 27 and 47 or something very close. Oh, stop. Um, stop comparing but I do. Li- I actually do like the hire of Mario Cristobal, and here's why. The players love him. The recruits love him. He'll be able to recruit there. And he's not really going to go anywhere else. Um, and guess who, so guess who I, Herm, Edward lo- Herm Edwards loves? Guess who? Who? Nobody. Did you did you watch his press conference? I do. And then and that kind of attitude is not with today with today's oh youth that I talk to every day. God, it won't. He hates everybody. And, yeah, and they're going to just hating like, people and being super tough and hard. Oh. Like you could do that if you're Nick Saban when you win national championships and kids will put up with it and be berated yeah, and, and you stuff. You go to the but, first round and get millions of dollars, but not at Arizona exactly. State. But when you're trying to rebuild a program, you have to come in with the fake enthusiasm like you're going to stay there for the rest of he your can't life do it. and make no, he can't he's do it. And he's making fun of their own uniforms. I just don't get what he's trying to do. He didn't even know what the, the, what the mascot and logo is. He didn't even know they were Sun Devils. <laughs> I swear to God he didn't. So let's not put Mario Cristobal in the category of Herm Edwards. Let's not talk about records and all that. You know what FIU was before he took that program over. Oh, I, oh it's a disaster. He's going to have to recruit California. Better than Taggart did. Taggart was putting a lot of effort into across the country and, you know, Florida kids and all that. Um, You know, you're not going to be successful recruiting the Southeast at Oregon, but uh, you can be successful if you recruit California. But California just got a lot more crowded when it comes to recruiting with Chip Kelly uh, now, you know, luring good football players to UCLA. Not that they weren't recruiting well before, but. I think he's going to take it to the next level. And Oregon's the type of place where you can spot recruit nationally. I mean, some of their better players have come from, you know, Texas and and, and Ohio and some weird places. Hawaii. Hawaii. There's a guy named Marcus Mariota that Gorney sadly underranked when he came out of high school. And DeForest Buckner. Had the one opportunity to scout him at the Elite 11, I think it was, at USC, wasn't it, in L.A.? I don't know. I don't think I've ever seen. Oh, no, I don't that think I ever you. saw him. That was pre you. That was pre me. That yeah. was Rick Kimbrell. I'm going to blame Rick Kimbrell if he's still alive. <laughs> I don't even know if he is, but <clears throat> I'll blame him. But no, I mean Mariota didn't even start till his senior year of high school, and you know, just sort of catching lightning in a bottle and developing players like that. That's what Oregon's about. I think Cristobal can do that. Now, I'm not saying that they're going to, you know, go back to where they were, be a playoff contender, and churn out. A Heisman winner, but I think it was a good hire. I, I, I think it was the right thing to do. Something interesting is happening at UCLA too. They have ten D commitments since Chip Kelly took over, and I think that's a lot more of uh, saying sayonara to some guys that might have been fringe candidates for that program. And Chip Kelly really, 
I kind of actually like what he's doing, saying I'm going to recruit my own players and I don't think you you would cut it. So uh, if if the sign of good recruiting is trashing your entire <laughs> recruiting class and starting over three weeks, two weeks before, you know, signing day, early signing day or a week before signing yeah. day, God, and then uh, it's going to be interesting to see how he handles things and who he can get in this class. But he has really taken the uh, the hammer to this recruiting class and is really starting over from scratch. Yeah, and that's going to be a lot of these coaches, the new coaches with the early signing period. Good luck putting together a transitional class. I mean, we saw some okay transitional classes over the years from guys like Urban Meyer from that from, from the point of hire till February. Now you've got yeah, yeah. We're nine days away from the early signing period. The majority of kids we assume are going to sign that have been committed for a very long time. There is no flipping them. There's no picking on the week. There's no taking that high three-star kid that you didn't offer early and turning them into a commit for you. I mean, good luck. This is probably the hardest transitional recruiting period in the history of college football. And we've had more changes, I think, what, 11 Power 5 or 12 Power 5 coaching changes or hires? Yeah, I think it was 12. It's going to be crazy. Um, So I think you're going to have some disappointing classes. Uh, And and I think fans are just going to have to deal with that because the transitionary class, as we know, when you look back on guys who have had tremendous success at a job, it's not the transitionary class that leads them to the national championship. It's that first and second class that they have the full year to put together. With Urban, it was, um, you know, the Percy Harvin class, um, mm-hmm. you know, and and, and Tim Tebow. Um, so I think there, you just got to be patient, you know, weed out the week if you have to. Get rid of some of these kids if they're not what you want uh, at UCLA. Um, and then, you know, just take it from there. But I would say overall, I'm so tired of decommitments. We get these notifications every time a kid is uh, put in as a commitment or a decommitment, and half of them, at least half of them, uh, lately are all decommitments. Um, the most decommitments I've seen since uh, November and December in the history of recruiting, at least since I've been following it for almost 20 years, and it's because of the early signing period. It's not because of this coaching carousel. Kids are just backing out. They were placeholder commitments or they're just having second thoughts. And I am so tired of decommitments. Yeah, I hate it. I hate the early signing period. I've said it every time on this podcast. It's terrible for the kids. It's terrible for coaches. It benefits probably no one um, of any significance. And so I just hate it all around. I hope it goes away. I think coaches are going to be fed up with it. Even the ones, you know, I mean, even the ones that, are going to sign a lot of their kids. And, um, you know, if you're playing in a conference championship and urban discussed this a little bit too, that, you know, they're kind of at a disadvantage by, by not being able to go out and recruit the, that week, uh, that they're playing a conference championship. So they're being almost penalized, uh, for being in conference championship games. It's just stupid. Coaches well, are still is, putting together staff. The timing. the timing is awful. And August is no better, Mike. No, no, it would no, be no. the same problem. You, you, you clearly didn't read my amazing mind of Mike this morning, did you? I, I don't I don't read. Um, uh, you read everything but what I write, which is going to be on your review. <laughs> the problem with August is that you're going to lock kids in and then coaches are going to change. Lock and every in. kid picks a school because of coaches, lock not because in. of the school. Make them make an adult every decision. School. Make them pick a school based on a school. 
That's not an adult decision. It is. An adult decision is who, you know, you're judged by the company you keep, Mike. Please. And so. Did you pick Penn State uh, because of the professors? No, no, no one is picking Penn State or anywhere because of the professors, probably except for Stanford. Um, but probably most of the kids that committed to Stanford didn't commit because of Stanford. They committed because David Shaw was the coach. Nah, and that's the same that's reason I, 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 for Chip Kelly. That's the same reason for Nick Saban. But I'm talking like normal human beings. 99% of the world chooses a school based on what? Location, comfort, major, reputation. Do you think football academics? players are picking Alabama because of the beautiful Tuscaloosa or Clemson, South Carolina? No. But I think if they pick Alabama, and let's put it this way, you know, okay, so Tennessee went through the most embarrassing embarrassing uh, search ever, right? Yes. Let's say Elante Taylor and Cade Mays had signed in August. Those guys are going to end up back at Tennessee now anyways because they're going to buy into Jeremy Pruitt. They're going to buy into the coaches he hires. That's where they wanted to go in the first place. They're going to go back there. That's fine, but it should be their choice. They shouldn't be forced into it even before their senior season starts. They don't have to sign. They don't have to sign in August. They can wait. And take that chance. That's what makes it, it's freedom of choice. We live in America. You don't have to sign in August if you don't want to. Tell that to college football coaches who basically force these kids to sign or lose their spot. Well, listen, that's life. That's big boy. It's time to grow up. Time to be 17 years old. You're, you look like you're, you know, 28 years old, most of these kids. It's time <laughs> to act like it, you know? Mike, we know all of these kids. And even in February, they don't know what they want to do, let alone be even before their senior season starts. I know. that I just want to see it in August or get rid of it entirely. I just want to get rid of it entirely now. I've been for it for 15 years, and now I see the chaos and confusion it's causing. I see how many decommitments there are, which are more than ever before. I see a bunch of kids who just like, I'm not going to sign. I'm an early enrollee. What's the point of signing? I'll just show up. Um, I see so much confusion that – because it's six weeks from the regular signing day, which is stupid. Basketball is six months apart. That's smart, you know. Um, they should have an early signing period that's not six weeks before the actual signing period. That's not early. And it's right, right around JUCO time. It's right around early enrollee time. It's right around coaching carousel time. It's right around the holidays. It's just the worst time possible. Make it November. Make it September. Make it August. Do something other than what you did, which is right before the dead period starts in December. Stupidity, as usual. Why Why have it at all, Mike? There's no reason to have it. The only kids that really want to sign and get it over with are kids who are locked in anyway. And a lot of the coaches have moved on from those kids. Do you think, I mean, even a kid like Trevor Lawrence, do you think schools are still really actively recruiting him? No. Not him because he's so, made it clear. I, I, I don't know why to have it. It, it benefits no I one. I don't really know. It, 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 I thought for years it would solve or help solve this, this, you know, taking stupid official visits for no reason and, yeah. you know, all of that wasted time. I thought it might save the coaches a bit of, of work because they're the hardest working, you know, you know people in the country um, and they have to travel across the country to go see some kid who may or may not take an official visit to their school and just a lot of wasted money and time in recruiting. Um, and yes, we are talking about Shea Patterson, so don't don't worry about it. We're going to get there in a second. I'm still ranting and raving about the early signing period. But right now, you know, based on the, the week leading up to it, based on the amount of sleep that I'm losing thinking about it, I hate it. I want it to go away. Um, 
And I think, you know, if this were August and we were dealing with the first one, I think it'd be a lot easier than dealing with this muck and mess that we have here. So the timing of it stinks, um, and it's it's going to lead to more decommitments. Over the next nine days, watch as we get those notifications. It's oh, yeah. going to be like moved from committed to undecided. It's just going to be so many of those. But once it's over, I think we'll be happy with, the the whittled down group of players that we have to worry about and cover uh, from December 23rd into February, uh, but I'm certainly not happy with the results so far. I think it's just caused a lot of chaos. So let's get to Shea Patterson. He just announced breaking news a few minutes ago that he's going to Michigan. Uh, he visited there with uh, two of his teammates. I assume they're going to go, uh, Malik Van and. Uh, was Deontay Anderson. Anderson. I assume they're going to go as well, uh, which is going to further cripple Ole Miss. But um, I was asked last week, does this mean they're going to be the favorites to win the Big Ten next year? And I said absolutely positively no. Even if he gets the waiver and he, you know, gets to play right away, a quarterback wasn't the only problem there. Their offensive line is really bad. Um, the defense was young. They'll be much better next year, and they were pretty good this year. But there's still that team they called Ohio State that's returning a ton of talent that you have to consider the favorite. And I know Penn State's there uh, as well, but I think Ohio State's got to be the favorite. And let's not forget Michigan State. I mean, they went up to Ann Arbor this year and won handily. Uh, and, you know, um, you know, I don't know if Michigan's the favorite next year. I think this puts them in a much, much better position because their quarterback play this year was so horribly bad when O'Corn was on the field. Uh, Wilton Spate wasn't much better. Brandon Peters gave them some life late in the season. But uh, if you're going to bring Shea Patterson in, all I hope for Michigan fans is that Harbaugh lets him be Shea Patterson and not just handing the ball off and trying to run Michigan's offense. Harbaugh's a hard-headed guy. He doesn't want to change anything. He, you know, but he is also very intelligent and understands talent. And so Shea Patterson's a guy who can run around, prolong plays, chuck it down the field, all the things that Michigan really doesn't do. Um, so the fit, I'm not entirely sure it's a perfect fit from a, from a talent perspective of, of Shea Patterson and what Michigan wants to do. Um, but if they're smart, they're going to change some things up because he could be a special player and they're going to have some veteran players on that offense that could really make plays. So um, no, I don't think Michigan is the favorite to win the Big Ten next year, uh, but it put, puts them in a much better position than they've been in the last few years. I think they might even be better off if he doesn't get the waiver and has to sit out a year, because then you're talking about bringing in enough talent around him. You know, you'll have some of those freshman wide receivers, Tariq Black, Donovan Peoples-Jones, will be third-year guys. The defense will be that much better uh, because, you know, right now they're very young and, and still inexperienced and uh, – I think the offensive line, you can fix that. Um, I don't know about next season. But, but again, he doesn't want to wait. They don't want to wait. I'm sure he'll get the waiver for whatever reason, and uh, he'll be your starting quarterback in an arbor, which is going to be a lot of fun to watch. You know, it's one of those things where you, you followed the recruitment of Shea Patterson, and he was pretty much going to go where his brother went. He committed Arizona when his brother was there, and, uh, you know, he committed to uh, Ole Miss when his brother was there. Now, he, he was never really looking at Michigan, if I can remember his recruitment properly. Now he's going to one of the programs that's under the, the, the magnifying glass because 
you know, Jim Harbaugh needs a win over Michigan State, and he really needs a win over Ohio State. Yeah, I mean, you know, they're talking about a lifetime contract there, and by no means is he on any sort of hot seat. That's just ridiculous to say. Uh, he inherited a team that was a mess when Brady Hoke left. He's turned it around to a degree. Um, but but honest Michigan fans cannot be thrilled with the direction of the Michigan program right now and where it sits. They're still far behind Ohio State. They're basically on the same level as Michigan State, if not behind them. Uh, Penn State has emerged this year, and I do agree with you. They will take a step back, and Michigan will emerge again. Um but uh, you know, this is not. This is a team that finished third, third, and fourth in its own division the first three years of Jim Harbaugh coming over. No one expected that. Um, no one wanted that. That can't be thrilling for anybody. Um, and the and the conference and the division is not getting any easier. Um, you know, Wisconsin is still going to run the West. Nebraska is getting better. Uh, the East, Ohio State's not going anywhere. Uh, Michigan State, this was supposed to be a down year for them. This was supposed to be another kind of bad year. They had a terrible year last year, a bad off season, and they came in and turned things around and went up to Michigan and beat them. So uh, Michigan State's not going anywhere. Penn State's hardly falling off. Uh, they're not going anywhere. So Michigan needs to get a lot better on the offensive line. They need to be more inventive offensively because what they've tried hasn't worked. Um, and Shea Patterson could could be the answer to a lot of those problems. Um, but this isn't a team. Does this look like a team like Clemson or Alabama right now that could play for a national championship? No way. So uh, there's still a lot of fixing to do there. And we've got an athletic director hire, which usually we don't talk about that much because that, that encompasses basketball and, and many other sports. Uh, but we all know football is king at Texas and uh, Chris Del Conte is the new guy, and I think this is a tremendous hire because what he did at TCU in pretty much securing an invitation from the Big East and screwing the Big East over that, invita that invitation from the Big 12 <laughs> and saving TCU from irrelevance uh, was definitely tremendous maneuvering. Um, I think they've done a great job down there uh, of supporting the football team, of supporting what they need facility-wise. And now he's going to a juggernaut and a giant, and they've needed somebody. Uh, the last guy, Patterson, was just a bozo from what everything I've heard. is just charging yeah. alumni to get on the field and all the other you know, business-related moves that he made. This guy seems to get football. I think this is great for Tom Herman, um, and I think this is going to really – enhance the success that they could have at Texas. And I think it's going to be a Texas-Oklahoma world. Um, probably maybe not next year, but the year after that, the Big 12 is going to be those two teams battling it out every year. And that's kind of the way it should be when you look at the Big 12 landscape. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, Texas has some pretty good coaches there. Shaka Smart basketball, Tom Herman football. You know, this guy's walking into a pretty good situation, and, and, it, and I think it really benefits the coaches Keeping Gary Patterson at TCU um, was impressive. I think he had other opportunities that he probably could have pursued. Um, stepping into from TCU to Texas is like stepping from Adam Gorney to Mike Farrell. You know what I mean? Like small time to big time. And so I think he's going to do a great job at Texas. I think it's perfect for Herman. He's going to get what he wants. Uh, Tom Herman's the guy there. I don't know if it's going to be Texas, Oklahoma in, in two years in the Big 12 
Um, Texas, uh, you know, didn't exactly have the greatest season in the history of the world. And do they just quickly turn it around? I don't think Oklahoma State's going anywhere. Um, I think TCU was going to stay a, a problem in that conference for a lot of teams. Um, but, you know, West Virginia is always a tough out. Kansas State's a tough out. So um, there's there's some talented teams. But if Tom Herman can recruit the state like he has, which Charlie Strong never was able to, um, he's doing a phenomenal job with in-state recruiting. That will take care of itself because Tom Herman's a great coach. So I still think Oklahoma is the cream of the crop in the Big 12 for a long time. But Texas could be, you know, second, third, fourth. Instead of fifth, sixth, Second, seventh, third, fourth. So we got to put. So your your assignment this week is to put this podcast on the Texas board because. Uh, no, Dave. That's that's up to Dave Barry. Because <laughs> uh, they're not going to. They like me over there. <laughs> oh, yeah, Why wouldn't good. they like you, Dave Barry? You're the <laughs> nicest guy at Rivals, and you don't say anything that ticks anybody off, and you don't rank any players that upset people, and you know. I just got my 58th interview about the early signing period, by the way. Email just came through. And another decommitment occurred. Texas Tech just lost a kid while we were on the podcast. So this early signing period is really fun. I'm having a great time with it because I get to answer the same question over and over and over again. Do you think it's a good thing? Why did they put it in December? How many kids are going to sign? Who's going to sign from this school? Like, I have any idea who's going to sign. You know, we've got a little spreadsheet going of trying to keep track of who's signing and i saw i saw one of your one of your oh, kids boy. said that they were going to sign at the army bowl and i'm like oh my god these kids yeah. don't even know when they can sign or what a signature is and i'm like <laughs> well look it's this is confusing for us and we've spent decades in this business imagine a kid who's going through it for the first time who's not exactly a Rhodes scholar and so, so uh and everybody's telling him something different do you they 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 have you, no idea. They have no idea do what they're doing. Do you send letters to, I don't know, Amon Ra? Do you send letters to him anyways on December twentieth? I mean December nineteenth. I I I don't know. I don't, I don't know, know if that would upset I, him. I don't, I don't know, know if he's good. It's crazy. I mean the yeah. whole thing is crazy. We don't know anything. I I no one knows anything. I don't think the colleges know how to handle it. I don't let's think let's say kids... Stanford and Notre Dame send him a letter and USC doesn't. Is he going to be insulted by that? Even though he said he's not signing early, is that going to affect his? Do you think there's do you how how many situations on December twentieth, Mike? Do you think there's going to be that a kid signs and then on December twenty first goes? I didn't understand what I was signing. I don't want to be signed. I think that'll be very internal. I don't think we'll hear about it that often. We may hear about one, you know, prime example dummy story like that. Uh, but I think a lot of kids, I mean, let's put it this way. We've seen kids go on national television and pick the wrong school and yeah, and freak absolutely. out like four minutes after they got off the air and say, I don't know why I just picked that school. That wasn't what I wanted to do. I'm not going to sign my letter, blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of buyer's remorse and some kids that are going to do some stupid things. But I guess that's the way it is. I mean, I guess that happens the first Wednesday of February. But now it's so confusing you know, I don't have the answer to anybody's questions. And the reason I don't have the answer is because we've never been through this before and we've never seen what's happened. So I don't know if I'm Clay Helton, am I sending a letter of intent to Amon Ra? I guess I am because it doesn't hurt. And I, I guess I send a little note and say, um, just in case, you know, you decided to get this over with early, I wanted to cover all bases and send you this letter. And um, But that's a whole lot of 
they, that's a whole lot of moving parts and things to keep track of. You know what I'm saying? I mean, and this is supposed to be heading towards a little bit of a downtime for coaches, but I guess they're. And this is supposed to be helping. This is supposed to be like helping this process, and 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 instead, and making it easier in February. And it's just making it much much harder. It, I'm telling you, it's going to be. It, it is already a mess. Kids have decommitted, and kids are ruining their reputations by committing and decommitting and decommitting and committing, and then backing off of that, and then saying they're going to sign at the army game. Uh, it's just, it's just bad. Just keep it the way it was. It was fine. It was a national holiday for college football fans. It was great. And now you're messing with it. And, and to say we need to be more like college basketball, that is a terrible way of thinking. We need to be, college football needs to be less like college basketball. And so an early signing period is just bad on every level. Well, like I told you last time, I've taken those three days off. And actually, one of them is a company holiday. I don't know if you got that email, but... Yes, December 22nd, I will not be available. I will be reminiscing on the year and looking forward to 2018. Right, because we get the 22nd, the 25th, and the 26th off. And, and plus, we don't work weekends, so the 23rd and the 24th. So we're probably going to have a half day on the 21st, I would guess, with um, some sort of holiday party. Uh, yes, and we'll stroll back into work on Wednesday, the 27th and just see what happens, I guess. So yeah, yeah the, the 22nd, I won't be available, Mike. Uh, my family celebrates Christmas on Christmas Eve. Uh, Christmas day is a company holiday. The 26th don't bother well, it's, me. It's a company holiday. And the 26th. I will respond to all emails the morning of the 27th, starting You're at nine because the 26th is a company holiday as well. Okay, yeah. good. Then that's, so that's half good. day 21st, cause that's traditional before you start your holiday. Off the 22nd, 23rd, 24th, 25th, off the 26th, back at work the 27th. And then... Sounds good to me. Sa- so we don't know no, what's going to be no on idea. When you're in San Antonio, <laughs> I think you're going to be off the 31st, 1st, and maybe the 2nd as well. That's going to be an issue that I'm going to have to bring up with my manager because I have to fly out New Year's Eve, so that should be time and a half, right? You can't. Oh, I'm off. So I can't fly out New Year's Day either? You could fly out the 30th and then just take the next two days off. Is the 30th a weekend, a Saturday. Though? Oh, you're off. Can't do right. that. Well, I don't know when our next podcast is going to be, but we got a whole lot of holiday coming up. we got a whole lot of celebrating the Yule, and uh, <laughs> we got nothing to do as far as this early signing period is concerned because they didn't think of us either. When they put these dates out, they didn't think that we're going to be uh, on holiday. So let's end this podcast by saying we don't know when we'll talk to you next. Probably next week we'll have another one. But hand out our Twitter handles, would you, Dave? All right, yeah. So we'll end it right there. And we, like Mike said, we'll see you when we see you again. Uh, follow us on Twitter, at RivalsMike, at Adam Gorney, and at RealDaveBerry. Leave us a review on iTunes, too, if anybody's still listening at this point of the podcast. So we will see you guys again next time.